0: Production. Right now, one of the most anticipated court trials in years is taking place in New York. Ghislaine Maxwell, the former partner of paedophile billionaire Jeffrey Epstein, is being tried on charges relating to the grooming and trafficking of underage girls for Epstein to sexually
1: abuse. So, Ghislaine Maxwell was a British socialite who had friends in very high places, from presidents to princes. And one prince in particular, Prince Andrew, who spoke about her in his disastrous BBC interview several months after Epstein's suicide in 2019. On balance, could I have avoided ever meeting him? Um, Probably not. Um, And that's because of my friendship with Ghislaine. It was inevitable that we would have come across each other.
0: Yeah, the world is uh, now waiting to see whether this trial is going to reveal any incriminating evidence about, well, not just Prince Andrew, but other high-profile people, such as Donald Trump, who's already been mentioned in the stand.
1: So, in today's briefing, we cross to a reporter who's been in the courtroom for this very historic first week of the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. But first, here are today's big headlines. It is Friday, the 3rd of December. I'm Tom Tilley.
0: And I'm Jan Fran. Starting in Canberra this morning, in the last day of Parliament for the year, ended with an allegation of abusive behaviour and a minister standing aside for an investigation.
1: What a fitting end to the year.
0: Oh, goodness gracious.
1: Yeah, so the Federal uh, Education Minister, Alan Tudge, was stood down from his role in Cabinet after his former media advisor, Rochelle Miller, said the affair that she had with the frontbencher was physically abusive.
2: This relationship was defined by significant power imbalance. It was emotionally and on one occasion physically
0: abusive relationship. Now, Ms Miller alleged that during a work trip to WA in 2017 with the minister, she and Mr Tudge shared the same room. She said that she was awoken by her phone very early in the morning, and that's when he became physically abusive towards her. Then I
2: felt someone kicking me on the side of my hip and leg as I tried to sit up in bed. It was the minister. He was furious, telling me to get the out of his bed. He continued to kick me until I fell off the side of the bed and ended up on the floor.
1: Minister Taj says he completely and utterly rejects Ms Miller's version of events. He said that in a statement yesterday. He said her allegations are wrong, did not happen and are contradicted by her own written words to me.
0: Yeah, the Prime Minister, though, has asked him to step down from his role. He has taken personal leave. Um, The allegations are going to be investigated by a senior bureaucrat in the meantime.
1: Interestingly, um, Rochelle Miller already lodged a complaint with the Department of Finance last year, and it came back and cleared the Minister, Tudge. She also made allegations in the ABC Four Corners last year, but she said yesterday she was revealing these new details to push Parliament to adopt the recommendations made in this week's workplace review by Kate Jenkins.
0: The review that she's talking about is a review by Sex Discrimination Commissioner Jenkins who released a review on Tuesday that made 28 recommendations. It found that 37% of current parliamentary workers had been bullied and 33% had been sexually harassed. And South Australia's premier has announced COVID testing for arrivals from New South Wales, but he says that he's confident that the state can tackle a growing number of cases that have been linked to a school reunion
1: we've got this uh, we've worked very hard uh, to make sure that we were COVID ready before we opened the borders uh, last week it was always going to be inevitable for us to have some new cases in south australia and we're starting to see those come through so that's stephen marshall the premier um, this was the plan you know open up you're going to get new cases he's obviously having to show a bit of leadership to make sure people uh, stay the course they announced 18 new cases yesterday up from two the day before 16 of them linked to a high school reunion. People obviously enthusiastically speaking in each other's faces as you do at a reunion.
0: Yeah, that's right. And look, that is a big jump, particularly in a state like South Australia that hasn't seen a massive COVID outbreak to go from 2 to 18. Authorities are saying that they believe the infections were seeded by an interstate traveller. So that means all arrivals, that's what they're saying. That means all arrivals from New South Wales are now going to be tested for COVID on arrival. And that's you know, partly due to concerns about the spread of the Omicron strain in the state.
1: Testing makes sense, but it means people can still travel, which is great. They're not going back to any really hardcore plans like full-blown quarantine for arrivals from interstate. But Western Australia, not accepting any risks, Mm. um, they put up a hard border with South Australia yesterday.
0: Western Australia, they love those strong borders. So, Victoria now, where after weeks of protests and debate, uh, the state's pandemic laws will now come into effect later this month. That's because they passed the state parliament yesterday.
1: Yeah, they went through the upper house, 20 votes to 18. Um, It was a really tough one for Dan Andrews to get across. A lot of convincing crossbenchers to vote for it. Um, Four of them sided with the government to get this through after several amendments were made.
0: There was uh, 21 hours that upper house MPs spent debating the possible amendments it's a very long time. The new legislation is set to come into effect on December 16. So, what it does is it shifts powers from the chief health officer to the premier and to the health minister, and they'll now be able to declare pandemics and, and issue health orders.
1: This is the bill that's caused all those protests on the streets. Not just the bill, it's also, you know, the massive amount of time Melbournians have spent in lockdown plus the really strong vaccine mandates, but that's why we saw the sometimes um, shocking and really disturbing imagery from out the front of parliament. Part of the new amendments include setting up a joint parliamentary committee to review the public health orders and an independent panel to review appeals to detention under the public health orders. So essentially more oversight over mm. these new powers.
0: The International Olympic Committee says that it has held a second video call with Chinese tennis star Peng Shui after the Women's Tennis Association said that it was cancelling future matches in China.
1: So the IOC has said they've spoken to Shui and she confirmed she was safe and well again after she told them the same thing in a call last month. Now, I think the concern here is that the the IOC has such a vested interest in the Winter Olympics going ahead in China in February
0: Mm. that people
1: aren't trusting them.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, the WTA announced that it was going to cancel all tournaments and events in China and Hong Kong in 2022, and that was because they were concerned for mm. Peng Shuai's well-being. I guess the IOC wants to avoid cancellation of the Winter Olympics, as you say.
1: Mm. It's like, do do you trust this call that they've had, the second one? There's another really interesting story about the Winter Olympics. The Australian newspaper has a front-page story today reporting that Labor have offered to support the government in a diplomatic boycott of the Games in February.
0: Right, and a diplomatic boycott doesn't necessarily mean that athletes won't go. What's the difference between a diplomatic boycott and a full-scale boycott?
1: Well, the difference is all the Aussies who are in the European Alps and in America going really hard on their final stages of training right now will still be able to compete. It will be more government officials that wouldn't go to the Games.
0: Okay. So a little bit of a half measure there, but nonetheless... Less than a, half. A, less than half. A measure nonetheless. The thing is, look... Still that, just an
1: idea, though. It's not actually happening yet.
0: Right, right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the um, the Winter Olympics are set to happen next year in February. The IOC has said that they plan to meet with Shwai in person in January, so at least that that's uh, you know, we'll see what kind of eventuates from that meeting and, and what they decide in the lead up.
1: I'd like to see the call. Why, why can't we see the call?
0: Fair point. And Meghan Markle has had a big win in court. This is the Court of Appeal in London, um, which overnight upheld a high Court ruling in February earlier this year that the publication of a letter that Meghan Markle wrote to her father was unlawful and that it breached her privacy.
1: So this letter was published by The Mail on Sunday in 2018, but the judge said the Duchess had a reasonable expectation of privacy when writing the letter. Um, The newspaper disputed that Markle intended the letter to be private. They said correspondence between her and her communication secretary showed she suspected the father might leak the letter and wrote it with that in mind.
0: Yeah, so the judge earlier this year um, ruled in Megan's favour in, in February. This is a the high court ruling. And he concluded that the paper should print a front page apology and pay her legal bills. Mm. Now, her costs were estimated to be around $2.8 million, wow. but that was before the appeal. Oh, So uh, I don't know if they'll have to also pay the legal costs up until the appeal as well. They can't be happy with that.
1: Well, it must have been expensive to fly across to LA to have the meetings to prepare for the case and um, the mail are going to have to foot the bill. Right after this message, taking you to New York for the glay Maxwell court case. Do I regret the fact that he has quite obviously conducted himself in a manner unbecoming? Yes, Unbecoming. He was a sex offender. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm being polite.
0: Oh man, that was Prince Yay. Andrew there. What a train wreck of an interview he gave with the BBC in 2019 where he talked about his former pal, Jeffrey Epstein. As you're about to hear, Prince Andrew's name has already been mentioned in Ghislaine Maxwell's trial, which started in New York. On Monday.
1: The British socialite and daughter of a media mogul, Maxwell, faces six charges, including sex trafficking and enticement of a minor to engage in illegal sex acts. She was arrested in July 2020 after being found in a remote property in the US state of New Hampshire and has been in prison since then.
0: Yeah, so this trial has been hotly anticipated for a while and we have someone who has actually been at the trial in New York this week, Ashley Mullaney, who is the Bureau Chief for Channel 7. She's with us now. Hey, Ashley, what is the atmosphere there like inside and outside the court? Do you get a sense that this is one of the most anticipated trials that we've seen in years? Absolutely. This has drawn a huge amount of attention here in New York, not only from American networks, but networks
2: from around the world, of course, from the UK too, particularly day one of the trial. It was just Absolute chaos. There were hundreds of people lined up waiting to get into the court. A huge media presence here, and just spectators too—people who want to try and get into the court to listen in
0: to what's happening. Were you able to catch a glimpse of Galen Maxwell, and, and if so, how was she looking and behaving throughout the week? There's actually one main courtroom where
2: Galen is sitting, and then there's about four other overflow courtrooms where they have huge screens set up for the press to watch the proceedings. But we've got a clear picture of Galen. We can see how the proceedings are unfolding and she looks quite different to what we've seen her in those previous hearings when she was in shackles, handcuffs. She looks well put together. She has her hair done. She's essentially, I guess, looking like a, a regular citizen and probably by design too. So she seems to just sit there quite calmly and not much of a reaction from her while these allegations are being read out.
1: So tell us about the opening statements. Her defence argued that she's being used as a scapegoat for Epstein's crimes. How compelling was that argument, given these charges are directly related to her actions?
2: It's really interesting. The opening statements gave us a really clear picture on how both sides are going to attack this case. And they've painted completely different portraits of Ghislaine Maxwell, and the jury will have to decide which one is accurate. But Laura Pomerant, the state prosecutor. She really didn't hold back. It was quite a blistering opening statement from her. She said, make no mistake. She knew what Epstein was going to do. He did not abuse alone. She was in the room for the abuse. She said that Ghislaine preyed on vulnerable young girls, manipulated them and served them up to be sexually abused. Really strong statements. But as you said, the defense then fired back They said that she was being made a scapegoat, that if Jeffrey Epstein was still alive and facing trial, that Ghislaine wouldn't even be here. So they are saying that she's being punished for the crimes that he is not going to face court for.
0: So after those opening statements, we heard from Jeffrey Epstein's former pilot. He took the stand. Tell us about him and how compelling Mm -hmm. his evidence was.
2: You know, I found him to be quite a hostile witness, really. I Mm -hmm. think the prosecution called him in for questioning, but in the end, it was probably a a win for the defense because he claimed that he never saw any underage girls on the plane or any underage girls that weren't with their parents, that he never saw any sexual activity and denied that there was anything untoward taking place on the plane. But, however, he did say that the door to the cockpit was often closed, so he might not have seen everything. He worked with Epstein for almost 30 years, so he would have been Mm. a loyal member of his staff for quite a long time. They mentioned in court that Epstein gifted him 30 acres of property out in New Mexico for him to build a house out there paid for all his kids to go to college, go to school. So I think they had a really interesting dynamic. And I had to wonder whether, you know, he's been, not that he had turned a blind eye, there's certainly no suggestion of that, but he probably wouldn't want to be in a position where it sounds like he knowingly witnessed anything untoward happening on his aircraft. So yeah, he definitely didn't do a whole lot to support the prosecution's case, but he definitely set the scene for the trial and the amount of jet-setting that they did between all of Epstein's properties in Palm Beach, New Mexico, New York, mm. and Paris. It was quite fascinating.
1: Sounds like a curious choice to put him on the witness stand first for the prosecution. Don't Why? quite understand what's going on there. Um, Jane? Um, inverted commas, not her real name, was the next witness. She told her Mm -hmm. the story of meeting Epstein and Maxwell at a park bench in Florida at the age of 14. What was the strongest evidence she revealed? That's an
2: odd story. Yeah. She was at a camp actually for gifted musicians and artists and she told the story how she was sitting on a park bench eating ice cream when Ghislaine walked by and made small talk with her and they exchanged numbers and from there at the age of 14 they struck up this relationship where Jane would be invited over to Epstein's home to spend time with them, hang by the pool. But what started off as these sort of more innocent meetings ended up evolving into abuse almost every time she said that she went round to the house. You could see she was very emotional recounting these stories. This is abuse that took place over many years, but it Mm. started when she was just 14 years old. I've just walked out of court now, actually. I'm sitting on the steps outside, and the testimony that we've heard today, well, she's in cross-examination right now with the defense, but there's been some more interesting detail about where she was taken, who she met while she was spending time with Epstein. She told the court that Jeffrey Epstein took her down to Mar-a-Lago where she met Donald Trump on a trip with him and then on another occasion where she flew on the private jet with Prince Andrew, which I thought was quite interesting. So there's been a lot of name dropping and, and mm. you know, those passenger manifests from those private jets are quite telling not just Donald Trump, but Bill Clinton had flown on the plane, so to Kevin Spacey. So a lot of high profile names. They were mentioned because the pilot was trying to explain why it wasn't unusual for him to have signed a NDA, a non disclosure agreement to protect the privacy of some of these high profile passengers.
1: Wow, yeah. So some big names have been dropped already. Were any of them implicated in any way through that evidence or were they just mentioned?
2: No, they've just been mentioned in passing. They haven't sort of delved any further. But this is a long court case, this is the first accuser, Jane, there'll be three other women who gives evidence in court too. And then, of course, a big question is, will Ghislaine testify mm. in this trial too? And you can only imagine the secrets that she probably holds too. She had a renowned black book and knew everybody in town. So it will be interesting to see whether she gives evidence. But the focus today, for the defence anyway, is to really poke holes in Jane's testimony and try and trip her up, basically, and say, yeah. well... He told the FBI one thing in 2019, and that doesn't quite stack up. So they're really trying to undermine her credibility, undermine her memory. An example of that is that she told the FBI that when she was 14 in 1994, they took her to see the Lion King in New York, and her defense has said today, well, the Lion King didn't come out until 1997, and she said that was an error in her timeline. So every little detail like this that they can try and trip her up on, it would be their hope that it casts doubt over her entire
1: story, really. Ashley, what other big names do you think are going to come out? I know a lot of people are wondering whether Bill Clinton will be implicated, Prince Andrew. Who Mm -hmm. else might come up?
2: That's a really good question, and I think that's what has drawn so much interest in this case, because Ghislaine has this black book with so many high-profile names. She was rubbing shoulders with past presidents and famous people from around the world, loyalty. We've seen Prince Andrew implicated in this, and that famous photo of Ghislaine standing with Prince Andrew and Virginia Jafre, who is not part of this case, but she has accused Jeffrey Epstein, of abusing her. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see what names come out, whether Ghislaine decides to speak. But there's a lot of emotion here at the court. Not only are there these four women who are involved in this case, but there's a whole lot of other women who just say that they were abused by Jeffrey Epstein, who never had their day in court because he, of course, took his own life before he faced trial. In fact, I was sitting in court and there was a girl sitting, a woman, I should say, sitting behind me, who came to to watch the proceedings and said that she was 15 when she was raped by Jeffrey Epstein. And this is her chance. She hopes that if they can see justice with Ghislaine Maxwell, that that will be some comfort
0: to them.
1: That was Ashley Mullaney from Channel 7. She's the U.S. Bureau Chief. Great to get her insights. One standout part of that interview jam was the fact that the prosecution put that pilot on the stand and he didn't give any real incriminating evidence.
0: You'd like to think they have a bit of a plan. Maybe they're putting their weakest witness first and then they're going to build up. Who knows?
1: They've got Jane, the first alleged victim, then three more. So obviously Mm. their testimony is going to be fascinating. You obviously got to wonder what it's like to be on the jury of this trial as well. What a position to be in. And I, I wonder whether the Me Too... Movement will have changed the attitudes of those people on the jury in the way that they hear those victims' account. There's been a big push in society to believe
0: Mm. people who
1: come forward with accusations of sexual abuse in a way that they hadn't been before. Mm. And I wonder if that could affect the outcome of this.
0: Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, hearing Ashley talk about that black book that Glenn Maxwell had with all of those names. I think there's some very nervous people around the world in the coming weeks, that's for sure. All
1: right. Thank you so much for listening to your Monday to Friday briefing. The weekend briefing will be in your feed tomorrow with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who are you speaking to this week?
0: This weekend I have had a chat with Carly Finlay, who is a quite incredible appearance activist and also an author. You've probably read her writing or heard her on radio before. Carly lives with ichthyosis, which is a rare skin condition and she is someone who teaches quite selflessly the world to better understand disability. I'm disabled myself and I still learned a whole lot from talking with Carly. I really recommend getting to know her better and perhaps taking away your own new perspective on being disabled.
1: Amazing, that is the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi and big thank you to her producer as well, Beth Gibson. And a big thank you to the whole briefing team: executive producer Dan Mullins, news producer Liam Kennedy and Brooke Loudner, socials producer Emily Lodge, and our editor Matt Kuz Curry. Look forward to speaking to you Monday. Bye. Listener.